0: Hi, this is Myla Danny. I play for NIFHG in Denmark. I've participated in various youth national team tournaments where I've won a silver and two bronze medals. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters.
1: We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind.
2: It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Nee Wallace Bruce, and I am joined by Mr. Corbett Arond, aka Kobe. Kobe, how you doing?
1: Good, buddy. Good. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year, so I'm I'm feeling pretty solid.
2: <laughs> That's right, Kobe. You are a golf fan, and it's Masters Week. That's right. It's, uh we've got baseball coming back, but we've also got quite a bit going on in the world of soccer. It's the, it's the international break, so who better to talk about it wi- with than? former United States Women's National Team member and current analyst for CBS and ESPN, it's Laurie Lindsey. Laurie, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Good to be um, chatting with you both.
2: It's a pleasure to have you on. And it's it's a busy time of year because not only do you cover the national team, but there's the NWSL that's starting up. With, we've got the Challenge Cup going on. We had the, the Champions League last week with the record attendance at the camp now. How do you, how do you manage to fit it all in?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. You know, this does feel a little bit like the calm before the storm because a lot of the, our CBS games, Challenge Cup has primarily been on Paramount Plus, And so a lot of the CBS, CBS SN games start um, next week after the international break. So my schedule really starts to kind of um, take a major upswing. So I'm enjoying a little bit of the quiet time and be able to watch a ton of games. Um, and yeah, just enjoy the excitement around not only women's soccer, but I would say women's sport in general.
2: Hmm. Yes. And Dawn Staley cut down the nets once again for South Carolina over the yeah. weekend in the, in the final fall.
0: Philly native and then also UVA grad too. So the, the double duo there. I went to UVA. So a lot of love for Don Staley.
2: Yeah, you didn't just go to UVA. <laughs> you won, you won <laughs> a few awards while you're there. You're quite successful.
0: This seems like a lifetime ago. So yeah, but yes.
2: <laughs> Was football always the the first passion for you or did you play other sports?
0: Oh, well, I certainly played other sports growing up. I grew up in um, Indiana, Indianapolis. But yes, soccer was my main love, my main sport. I have a, a brother, Chris, who's a couple years older, not even quite a couple years. So being close in age, my my dad especially was like, listen, whatever Chris is doing, you're doing. And my dad quickly fell in love with the game of soccer too. I think that was his way of kind of saying, Hey, listen, like, this is how I can help forge your path forward. (laughs) It wasn't like he's going to sit us down and help us with our math homework. So it was like, I'll coach your soccer teams. And luckily, or fortunately we love the game because he was definitely hype on us, um, doing whatever we could to get to college via soccer. So here we are, yes, loved it, still love it. And it's really is like, as cliche as it may sound, the gift that keeps on giving, I should say.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, It's it's been a heck of a career that you've had as a player and now as an analyst. Did you ever think that you would be able to achieve everything that you have to this point?
0: You know, good question. I, I hoped a lot um, throughout my career. I mean, there's definitely there was definitely some ups and downs and then times when, you know, especially when it comes to such the cutthroat environment that a national team can be, um in terms of like making rosters there's definitely times when you're you start to second guess and it does get challenging especially with the travel and how competitive it is but i think the main thing for me was i just i really love playing the game i loved trying to figure out ways to get better as a player you know if anybody who's seen me play or did watch me play like i wasn't the traditional kind of what you would quote unquote think of a u.s women's national team player in terms of like This athletic prowess. I mean, no doubt was I like in the upper echelon, but um, my game was more of like a passing game. I wanted to assist. I wanted to get an attack and help. I wanted to keep the ball. And so for me, it was about a constant figuring out how to kind of continue to make that revelant and fit in with the U.S. women's national team, I should say.
1: Uh Yeah. The way you described it when you were talking about how you got into soccer to begin with, you made it sound like your father developed a love for the game because the two of you were into it. Was he a fan before or was it you that really got him going?
0: I think a little bit of both, you know, it wasn't like Indiana at the time was this major soccer hotbed and that's like exactly what kids do. Right. But it was starting to gain some traction. um, And this would have been in like the late eighties. And so again, it was one of those things where my brother was like, Hey, it was an easy way to get us involved in sport. We, we, you know, signed us up. We were actually pretty good at it from an early age. And then I think my dad was like, okay, I enjoy this game. I want to learn a little bit more myself. And that's how it took hold too. So I wouldn't say it was mainly because of us. Yes, we were involved, but I, he really fell in love with the game as well. And he's still one of those guys that's watching any, anybody games he can and the premier league as much as possible. So he's certainly still a fan and knows what's going on with the game even today.
1: Okay, so uh, growing up then, did the family have a particular team they started to follow?
0: Well, it's interesting because what's hilarious today is, and you talk to any soccer fan, part of the, I, I kind of quote unquote say stress is that you could watch any game possible. Like there's so much soccer on, it's about picking and choosing. Otherwise, you're just going to find yourself in front of the TV that, um, your entire life. So for me, it sometimes I love it and it's amazing how much the sport has grown and how much access there is. But back then, really the only games that you could get were Manchester United. So I would say, you know, our family at the time was Manchester United fans. For me, I was a huge Paul Scholes fan. That's how I wanted to emulate my game. And but that is, you know, not the case anymore. I wouldn't say that Um, Manchester United is our favorite team. My brother is certainly a Liverpool fan, and I have swayed a little bit. I wouldn't say I have a huge a team that I follow. I, I follow quite. Frequently, but I just don't have a team that I actually follow.
1: Okay, no, that's fair. I'm I'm not a Manchester United fan, so that's good to hear. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'm not either anymore. I mean I think there's quite a few of us out there that are like that.
1: So Exactly.
2: I'm also not a Manchester United fan, so we can continue the interview, so it's good. I thought we were gonna have to cut it off, but I'm happy. (laughs) No, but in saying that the game has come along, like the US has always been the dominant figure in Mm -hmm. in um the women's game but you're definitely seeing the europeans catching up i mean canada won the gold medal last year kobe will will happily remind you of that (laughs) (laughs) it's the the rest of the world is starting to catch up and that's that's going to be a good thing right
0: oh yeah certainly and i wouldn't even say starting to catch up I, i mean i think it's like becoming more and more of an equal playing field now i mean the one thing that we have you know, have had the advantages is the support as much as, you know, obviously the, the equal pay lawsuit, it, barring getting the CBAs done for both the men's and women's national team, we hope sooner than later, the equal pay has, it came to an agreement, right, with U.S. soccer. But the reality is on the same side of that, even though you're pushing for more, and you're pushing for um, more um, equity and equality, we have had a ton of support from U.S. soccer and from an, a very I guess early stage in the game. And and that really in large part, if if not majority of it, has to do with those pioneers before me, of like the Mia Hams and the Julie Foudys, who were striking, who were pushing for for better environments from an from an early stage. And so, um, now that we're seeing that with the rest of the world. And, and I also want to say, like, not to pat us on the back. It wasn't just about focusing on U.S. soccer here with the lawsuits. It's about making the game globally better and then allowing for other players in other countries to be able to speak up to their federations and, and fight for equity. So we're seeing that come to fruition. And, you know, a lot of these countries, their main sport is is soccer so or football and always has been so they've grown up within that culture So really, for a lot of these um, countries, it was just about getting the support. And um, while we still have a a long ways to go, you're really seeing some of what just limited support can look like as the game is just, I think, bursting at the seams and the level of play. And and to your point, the fact that like, yeah, I mean, the days of us just blowing out teams, 10-0, I think, you know, barring some of the federations that are still continuing to grow, are, are gone because the, the, the playing field is much more even.
2: Mm-hmm. And I know it's probably a, it's probably a sore point for yourself, but I got to talk about 2011 because that was the, <laughs> the, 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 Jeff, um, the Japanese team, they shocked the world. I remember cause I was, I lived in Asia Pacific. I was, I was watching that final. It was a Monday, I think it was a Monday morning mm-hmm. and the Japanese we're not expected to win the final, but they they came up against all odds because you were part of that squad. You, I mean, it was yourself, Rapineau, Lloyd Morgan. This is this is like the golden generation. Tell us about that tournament, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, well, um, I love talking about this tournament because I think that that tournament, 2011 World Cup, really kind of set the tra- trajectory for women's football and really kind of have been able to sustain the momentum of where we are today. To your point, yes, the Japanese team was remarkable. I mean, led by Amari Sawa, who was a, a former teammate of mine. Great person, unbelievable um, midfielder. And the team was just, I hated playing against them. They were so good. They were athletic in a different way than that we were. They were so tidy with the ball and you know, the backing of their, their country after the tsunami, they mm-hmm. were on a mission. And, um, but to back up a little bit, prior to that 2011 World Cup, we played, always playing these like kind of send-off matches um, heading into a World Cup. And we played in Mexico at Red Bull Arena um, right outside New York City. And, and I think there's only about 5,000 fans there. And we were all like, okay, what is happening here? Because typically in years past, you know, there'd been quite a bit of ebbs and flows for women's soccer, but every time there'd be a World Cup or Olympics, there'd be a lot of like excitement generated prior to one of those big tournaments. And with only playing in front of 5,000 fans, I think a lot of us were like, uh, what is happening? Usually at this point in time, there's a lot of media coverage, people are excited, but that didn't seem to be the case. And then we had to Germany and get the tournament started. And then it was like a perfect storm because it was, I think it was basketball had just ended. They had just played the NBA playoffs um, or the championship. I think it was, baseball was on strike and we're playing brazil in the quarterfinal match that like has been heard and seen around the world of abby wambach scoring the header in the 120th mm-hmm. 20th plus minute right to tie the game and then we go on the win and so and then that like just unleashed everything and i always say that because Prior to that, you know, there had been ups and downs, as I mentioned. But since then, I feel like that tournament really just elevated and kind of catapulted women's football to where it is today. And just in the fact that like the momentum hasn't stopped, that it we have continued to grow uh, for the women's uh, in the U.S. as well for our women's national team, but worldwide has just took it to a whole nother level. And let alone to Germany put on an amazing world cup. I think if you ask any parent that's been to a few different world cups, that would be by far their favorite one is friends and family who attended because it was just dynamite. I mean, Germany really did, did, did such a good job. So yeah, I mean that that world cup was unbelievable and heartbreaking at the same time with the loss against Japan and the uh, penalty kicks in the final, but also, Nobody I'd rather lose to than the Japanese in in that situation.
2: Fair enough. And you talked about the hosts. We have a World Cup coming up next year in Australia and New Zealand. You played in the W League, so we'll get into that later. But tell us what fans can enjoy when they head out to Australia and New Zealand for the World Cup.
0: Oh, goodness. Well, they can experience an unbelievable to like two countries uh, with australia and new zealand i th- I really believe that this um tournament could be the biggest women's sporting event we've ever seen i think australia and new zealand will be incredibly prepared i think it's um simple travel within both countries yes um in terms of australia and like the the land that it occupies is, is much like the United States, but mm-hmm. it's simple to get around from my experience, easy to get over to New Zealand as well. And then beautiful oceans, beautiful cities. I mean, it is gonna be a spectacular event and, and we're not even talking about <laughs> the quality of play that I took to see on the field. So, and, and very welcoming Kiwis and Australians. So I think it could be a very fan friendly, but also exceptional quality on the field for, for the viewer as well
2: we go. If only we could say the same about Qatar. I'm going to leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I understand. Uh,
1: So we had touched on how some of the other nations have significantly improved over the last, let's say, two decades. And I think a lot of that ironically ties back to the increased interest in soccer in general in the United States. And the reason I say that is because I think the – the greatest advantage the United States has had historically, when it comes to the women's game, is the development through NCAA. Yeah. And now uh, the popularity of the sport has led teams. I think when I think about, I think uh, specifically ACC, yeah. uh, like like Duke, Virginia, uh, North Carolina, they they're starting to recruit outside of the states. Yeah. So you now have the sort of American system of developing athletes becoming an international thing and when it comes to the women's game and then they bring that knowledge back to their home countries and the developments systems they have there and it's kind of equalized the field to a certain degree and i think it's just it's good in general for the game and i think we'll see the results of that in australia how do you feel
0: Yeah. And I think you make a a great point about that. And that was something even just this past, it's called the She Believes Cup um, back in February. Mm -hmm. And that's something we talked about because, you know, with our national team right now, it has been an interesting situation in terms of getting teams over to play a lot to do with COVID, a lot with European teams not wanting to travel over here because they have the European championships themselves this summer, which I think can be, is going to be a, a spectacle and an amazing event in itself with the quality of play. So there has just been some trials and tribulations with getting, you know, some of the higher ranked teams. But one thing you're seeing is even with these teams that aren't maybe in the top 10, not necessarily always in the top 20 in the world with FIFA rankings, you're still seeing competitive teams because to your point exactly, which is there's always a few players who've either grown up in the United States or have been recruited Mm -hmm. by colleges to come over and play. And yes, they understand the physicality, they understand in a lot of ways, you know, it's a very professional environment, depending on what school you play in. But I also think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword just to add on to that point as well, those players coming over here. If they're not coming over here, a lot of those players in their home country, if there is a professional environment, they're playing professionally at the age of 18. So if you're not coming over here and getting a college education and playing in our um, college system, then some of those teams are getting Where some of those players are getting professional experience at a much younger age in a competitive game that's a little bit different than our college system. So then you have both that and um, you have professionals at a young age, and then you also have, once those players are done finishing up their college eligibility, also have that experience playing in the college ranks, if that makes sense. So now all all of a sudden you have some very in-depth knowledge of what it takes to play at the highest level and um, what it looks like to be in a professional environment
1: from a young age. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Uh, Which teams do you think have made the greatest strides in the last couple of years?
0: Uh, Good question. I I mean, I think Canada's come a long way just in terms of where they have been. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned earlier on the show, winning the gold medal, I think England has continued to develop their depth, especially with the WSL in in their league. Sweden has always been good, but they continue to continue to make some strides and then i think we're seeing some teams that are kind of in a rebuild i think pia Sundhage, who was our coach for a number of years with the united states has now taken over the brazil and she has a long-term contract to make sure that they continue to find younger players tony gustafson who was our assistant coach for a long time is now the head coach of australia he's continuously bringing in young players young talent to get them experience so, you know, Germany has had a little bit of a lag, but with just their infrastructure, I would expect them to continue to build momentum. So I, I'm sure I'm missing some some teams, but uh it, it for me it's more about the depth that we're starting to see. I was really impressed with like uh the Czech Republic mm-hmm. um in the She Believes Cup defensively and then had some really good ideas in the attack and that's a team that you know they don't have the infrastructure in their in their home country but a lot of them are playing professionally in Europe at least half of their team which compared to you know a handful of years ago would be none so remarkable difference in just a handful of years in terms of their level of play and sophistication on the field
1: okay fair enough so really there's there's quite a few teams now that when we when we get to Australia it's going to be quite the Looking at the groups, how they get developed, it's going to be pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, let me back up, because I think the one that's significant that's going to be lights out, too, and we'll see how they do in the European Championships this summer, but is Spain. I mean, Barcelona, right? They're, they're bringing in 93,000, the biggest um, crowd ever, to watch a live sporting event for the women. They just have another 50,000 sold for their next game against Wolfsburg. And so, yeah, I mean, Spain is, <laughs> they're they are good, and they're going to continue to get better
2: okay nice nice yeah barcelona have been pretty amazing if i'm not mistaken they went through their last domestic campaign undefeated they're just in spain you said uh barcelona
0: oh yeah Barcelona. yeah 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 oh they're i had the um fortune of calling their games this past summer when they came over for the icc women's championship it was played in portland and goodness it's one thing to watch them on tv but it's so fun to watch them live as well just the i think the pure calmness too mm. and the the desire to play the way the way they want to yeah it is it's such quality football and quality footballers you
2: know we go football played the right way in a way <laughs> <laughs> now one thing that i just thought of i gotta ask because we have the champions league We've got the NWSL, I know I know. there's the ICC Women's, I get that's, that's there, that has its place, but when are we going to see the FIFA Club World Cup Women's Edition?
0: Great question. I hope so soon. I think we do need these, you know, there's one thing that I like about our Challenge Cup, even though it's within the NWSL, but having these different competitions that mean a little something different to every club and but then even if you start to branch out to your point about the FIFA World Cup I mean that's what you want you want to have these different uh, competitions that mean something and continue to uh, evolve and push teams i mean i think that's how you continue to grow the game as well and people have access to to other clubs and other teams worldwide
2: indeed and we touched on briefly the the success of the Canadian team they they took gold last year but One theme, one thing that came out of the the win was the idea of what's next, because the US has the NWSL, but Canada, by and large, there isn't an equivalent competition up here, Mm -hmm. and we don't have a footprint in the NWSL. So could we one day see a team from Canada in the NWSL, in your opinion?
0: Oh, I would certainly hope so. I mean, I think you know with even and and it kind of feels like Portland is uh, the Portland Thorns are kind of headed that way. They might mm-hmm. just uh, yeah. move a little bit more north because you got. Uh, Karina LeBlanc is the general manager, Rian Wilkinson is their new head coach. Obviously, um, most people who'd be listening are familiar with Christine Sinclair, uh, one of the greatest footballers ever to play the game. So, um, Janine Becky's coming from Man City, they just signed her. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, right there, you have (laughs) four big time names coming from Canada. But I certainly hope so. I mean, I think, you know, the Canadians, under John Herdman, when he took over, even when I was still playing, now he's obviously with the men and then being able to continue to bev priestman taking over now and and helping win gold in her first year i I mean the the program in the last decade has just significantly made um, major strides and so you know i think that only makes sense to have a canadian team in the nwsl and i hope so because it you know it's it's something that we're constantly looking into with the NWSL is expansion. Where does it make the most sense? Where, who's prepared? And so I would hope so, because I think we have quite a few Canadians playing in the league and have been an integral part to the growth of the league.
2: There we go. Just in terms of the, the different leagues around the world, you played in the W League in Australia. You played with Canberra, one of the most successful teams. What was that like compared to playing at home in, in America?
0: Well, you know at that time because i had just been the reason why i was able to go over there is because i was finished playing with the national team it was closer to the end of my career before i was retiring but because i was finished playing with the national team it afforded me to have because for those who are listening well it's now the A League, the women's a league uh, so oh, yes, huh? yeah
2: yeah
0: right uh, i just want to make sure i was saying that i kind of forgot you said the w league but at the time when i was playing it was w league um however is the opposite season of the NWSL. So the NWSL for us is um, typically kind of like a March through September, October, more of October uh, timeframe. And then for Australia, it is kind of that October, November through February timeframe. And so I had never been able to afford the opportunity because of playing with the national team and having camps or games. So when I was finished with the national team, I was able to go over and It was awesome. It was like chasing summers and Mm -hmm. because it was summer over there and it was also with Canberra that is their uh, capital of Australia and even though my Australian friends were like, oh, sorry about you, mate, going to be living in Canberra instead of like the (laughs) glorious (laughs) uh, Melbourne or Sydney, some of the places that they're known for Perth, right with the ocean, the beautiful oceans and stuff. But Canberra was amazing because it was a smaller knit community, very active outdoor lifestyle, tons of cafes. And so where my um, teammates in the NWSL who were playing in Sydney or Melbourne were battling traffic and trying to figure out how to get to training, we were just like hanging out, enjoying life. It was such a, a simple way of, of living. And also they have a, the um, Australian Institute of Sport there. So all of our facilities were phenomenal because all of their professional athletes train there. And so it was unbelievable. It was the closest to, even though they were semi-pro, it was the closest prof- to professional environment um, that you could get. And really my experience there was unbelievable. I loved it. We had a, a extremely quali- quality team. We won the championship my, my last season there. And yeah, some of my favorite playing experiences just with, um, you know, the NWSL, I should say it can be, it's, it's it not can be, it's a very competitive, it's a transitional league, the games are exhausting, because there's, there's not a, there's a lot of parody in the league. And that is similar in Australia, but it's not as I would say at the time, it wasn't as athletic. So the games weren't as taxing, taxing. Mm-hmm. And so as an aging athlete, for myself, that, that um, was nicer on my my older body I should say so but yeah experience was a a wonderful loved it
2: beautiful I would love to hear that and you played in the midfield right
0: yeah center mid yep
2: yeah like a number six
0: yeah sometimes I I would typically say I was a bit more of a, a number eight like I was not a true 10 because a little bit of a, a deeper playmaker than that, but I also wasn't kind of a true six that you would think of in terms of like, you know, disrupting play a ton. Um, so, yeah, more of an eight.
2: Nice one. And let me ask you this. How would you describe the playing identity of the the U.S. women's national team? Like the, the Spanish team, for example, is passing, but how would you describe the U.S. style of play?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because I wouldn't say that we're in a transitional period by any means, um, because the DNA has always been attack, this mentality of how difficult it is to play the US, um, an athletic team, a team that is fit, that can run, put you under so much pressure. And I don't think we'll ever lose that or the hope is we'll never lose that. But now I think we're starting to see some different style play happening to come in, depending on the opponent. I think, as I've mentioned a couple of times at the NWL, it is very transitional. So a lot of times, you know, space will open up centrally. You'll have room to to look in behind for some of our forwards who can not only link up but also expose defenses or the opposition in behind as well with with pace and just the timing of their runs. But that's not always the case when you're playing. For instance, we we're playing Uzbekistan in these next um, in this international break coming up this weekend, and I don't expect that to be the most transitional game. I think they're a team that's going to just continue to be growing and and getting experience against one of the best teams in the world, if not or the best team in the world, with the U.S. So I expect them to be a bit more compact defensively. So. Why I say about it in transition, it, we're a little bit of a transition area because how do you find success against those teams? And that mm-hmm. is an ongoing conversation, I think, that Blackwell and us is constantly having with the players because it, it looks very different than it does in the cell So how can you exploit teams that are compact defensively? Um, how can you provide or have patience um, but still have that DNA of wanting to attack quickly, put teams under pressure, Get on the scoreboard as early as possible and see how teams react to that. So it is an interesting time because the U S will face very different opponents and how they, how they show up because of exactly what we've been talking about throughout this episode, which is some teams have evolved greatly. So we saw Sweden, you know, who were. I think everyone could agree in the Olympics were the way better team against us, put us under a lot of pressure that we haven't seen probably in the history of our women's program. And we didn't know how to solve it. And we didn't almost know how to react. And that affected us, I would say, emotionally throughout the rest of the Olympics in some ways. And then there's going to be teams, as I mentioned, Uzbekistan, who's going to sit back and be a bit more compact and see how they can compete. So it is an interesting situation and who can adapt the most and we're asking a lot of some young players right now to, to be able to do that because right now Vlako Anonoski is needing to look to deepen the play pool and, and hasn't called in some of the veterans that we know have been able to perform in different scenarios right so mm-hmm. a lot of questions still
2: yes I'm, I'm sure the answers will present themselves uh, maybe some of this international break and then some further down the line Now, thinking of further down the line, you mentioned Euro 2022 coming up. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, as someone who's an analyst on ESPN, have you got a a seat on the trip to England?
0: Yes, that that is um, my understanding. So, I am pumped. And we're still hashing out all the details in terms of what the entire production of everything looks like. um, But no doubt, going to be a phenomenal tournament. I mean, goodness. Talk about um, a little glimpse into what even next summer's World Cup will look like. It's going to be Absolutely. great. Some great soccer. So whoever's listening, make sure you're turning, tuning in.
2: There we go. It'll be on ESPN in the United States. It'll be on the BBC if you're in the UK and other broadcasters around the world. Now, i am got to ask, can we get a prediction from you for Euro 2022?
0: Ooh. <laughs> 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 uh, good one. In terms of who's winning, I, you know, I might have to go with Spain. Right. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, Spain, potentially Netherlands. I love that um, Hegerberg's back with uh, Norway. I think that's a huge boost. Yes, Honestly, it might be a little bit too early for me to start making predictions, especially until we see kind of like the final group, who's healthy when they, you know, put out the final rosters. hmm then I'll come back on and we'll do a whole prediction of your twenty
2: twenty. All right, I might I might hold you to that. No, that sounds that's good. Cool. Now we can find you on Twitter at lori lindsay six. Where yep. can we find you on Instagram?
0: The same, lori lindsay six. Yep. Yeah.
2: Nice and easy. And Laurie, before we let you go, is there anything you wanted to share with our audience?
0: You know, the only not so much. I mean, I love to love to chat about football. So hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, and the DMs and no thanks for having me on because I, uh, I love talking about football and the, the growth of the especially on the women's side and how exciting the, the future is so thank you for a lovely chat.
2: Well, that's alright we'll definitely have to have you back on later in the year. If
1: you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters be sure to reach us on our Twitter account where you can also
2: slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet.
1: Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.